Hello? All rise for the Honorable Judge Benwell Blanc. Benwell. Mr. Benwell Blanc, we are here to give you the details on the case of one Danny Myers versus the state of copyright. Thank you very much. Danny Myers, it appears you've been brought here today because you have misused audio from a podcast called Hayden's Entertainment Hour, which I am to understand you are the owner of now. I don't know what you're talking about. We have the legal documents right here, so if you'd like to explain to us the situation at hand. I've never seen these before in my life. These legal documents. Who's Hayden? Your tricks won't work on us this time. Danny Myers. I know I'm under oath, and I'm not lying. You're under oath, but you've lied a lot about a lot of things. First off, you lied about your tax evasion. You have been invading taxes since 2002. Where's your proof? Right here, the documents in front of you. These are not, I've never seen Hmm. these documents before. We got a stubborn one here. I had a stubborn one myself once. His name was Miles Braun. He was an idiot. You know how we found out that he was... What you laughing at, huh? My foghorn leghorn drawl? Is that what you find so funny, Danny Myers? Yeah. uh Well, here, I'm here to tell you something, Danny Myers. I'm going to give you an ultimatum here, because you must think I'm funny. Funny how? Funny like a clown, huh? Do I amuse you? Do I fucking amuse you, huh? Yeah, actually. (laughs) Well, you're about to be in some serious legal trouble for making an AI version of the podcast using you and Hayden's voice recordings. I'll play it right. Where's your proof? I'll play it right here for you. Welcome back to Hayden's Entertainment Hour. Today we are talking about Paul. We just saw Barbie. Barbie, what did you think of it? A b- atomic bomb. Atomic nuclear bomb. Ha ha, uh, Barbenheimer. A Barbenheimer. Funny joke. Ha ha. You wore Internet. the shirt, remember? Oh, that's right. I did buy the shirt and you called me cringe. Ha ha ha. Fucking loser. The Democrats are taking back society. All right, that's enough of that. So, you see what you've done here? You've committed blatant copyright fraud. I I clearly... Where's your proof that I did this? Oh, you are a stubborn one. I will give you that. Your fingerprints are... You know what? Let's move past this. I'm going to give you your ultimatum. You're going to spend 80 years in the penitentiary or... 80 years? I, I I could throw the gavel at you right now. I'm so pestered. I'm like that's a, abuse. I'm like a, you can't do that. You're not. You can't. That's abuse. I'm the greatest detective on this side of. I don't know where Benwell Box from. Ryan Johnson wrote a plot hole there. But anyways, so um, let, let's just talk about your what your two choices are. You either spend eighty years in prison or you make a podcast. Eighty. Yes. 80. That's what copyright is now because AI technology. Can no, I get on no, with the damn no. other point? Hold on. I had to spend 80 years in prison because a podcast that I allegedly own... It's right there! I just played it! Allegedly own has released an AI episode, and it's my fault? Yes, because you're the legal rights holder. I just went over this at the beginning. Where's your proof? (laughs) You know what? Let me just get to your points. All right, 80 years in prison, or you have to do the Barbenheimer podcast with that loser Hayden. You have no choice but to do one or the other. So pick prison or that podcast. Can I get my one phone call? I suppose. Give you get your one phone call in, but the line's only to Hayden. <laughs> Hello. Holy shit! They didn't cut my landline for once. What? Do, what do you want? Uh, there's this fucking guy who's like yelling at me about like committing a crime with the podcast. Well, I you wouldn't have done something as stupid as to make an AI podcast. No, right? I don't know. Danny, Danny, you got you got to be you got to be honest with me. Can you can, 
Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, so we gotta be quiet. But uh, I don't, I don't think the phone's tapped. So I did make an AI episode. Why would you do that? I, I, I it's, it's relevant. I thought it would be, you know, it would get I, the, it would get the clicks. It would yeah, get... it's a good money maker idea. But you know, like, there's a writer's strike in Hollywood right now, right? What? Nobody told me that. Oh, I thought you paid attention to I, it. I, I, we were. You told me we were gonna go see Barbie and Oppie. I, I thought. I, yeah, we were, but an AI at the time of you know a writer's guild that's on the brink of collapse because of AI. I, what? Come on. I, I, you okay, okay. You were hey, a big... hey, I got an idea. What? So has he given you any options on how to get out of this? Oh fuck. What What are the options? Come can, on, they gotta give you I, something. Uh, can I take the eighty years in prison? You're selecting the 80 years in prison, are you? Is yeah. that what Hayden has agreed to, too? Danny, uh, what are you doing? Just do the podcast. You don't want to be in a prison what? cell. How did you know we were... I can hear it. It's a phone. Oh. Duh. Fuck. Yeah, I, no plot holes in this podcast. <laughs> have you seen the movie Holes? I have seen the movie right, Holes. They're, but... telli- they're telling us we can watch Holes for two hours. Can you ask the old is... Blanc if that's the case? Yeah. Uh, yes. The, the, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yes, you can watch the movie Holes. Oh, God, we can watch the movie Holes. Awesome. Thank you, Ben. Well, give me the damn phone. All right, listen here. I'm going to force the two of you to do the podcast because he'll be killed in prison and so will you. All right, now here's the thing that you're going to do. You're going to review this podcast episode and you're going to do it to both of you, whether you like it or not. Help. I'm Judge Benwell Blanc and I have to go get my donut holes. Help. 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 Hey. Are you still there? Because I'm on the phone. Hello? So how the hell am I supposed to get to you? You're in a courtroom. I I don't know where I am. Okay. Close your eyes. They put a bag over my head and started Listen, Listen to me, girl. You need to close your eyes. You need to imagine you're in my mom's van. My old mom's van, okay? And you'll appear in there and we can do the podcast. Do I have to tap my heels and say... No, 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 that's cliche Hollywood bullshit. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. Ah! Ah! Oh, God, I didn't think you'd be here. Wow, that works somehow. Um, okay, yeah. Uh, well, uh, I, I guess, do we get get on with it? The what? Well, don't we have to do that? Or... You know I'm out now, right? We don't have to watch anything. Well, we're already at the theater for uh, both, so. Uh, yeah, Barben, Barbenheimer. It's the Barbenheimer episode, everyone. Barbenheimer. Aren't you excited about Barbenheimer? I fucking love Barbenheimer. George Lopez is in the Blue Beetle. Batman's a fascist. His iconic line from that trailer that the internet blew George up about. Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah. Um, so welcome, everybody, um, to the biggest meme movie since I... The Minion movie last year? You remember the cult following that had? The fuck? There was the, a Minion movie last yeah, year? Yeah, so there's a Minion movie last year where a bunch of like teenagers got in suits and shit and went and saw it and got fucking wild in the theater. Don't know why that caught on. No, and, and ironically, I didn't think this would catch on as a joke because... As everybody knows, uh, Barbie and Oppenheimer had the same release date, ironically. So, the internet, finding its way to make something really kind of weird, managed to make it a pretty big marketing campaign. Yeah. Because for the past three months, that is all I've seen in my feed is Barbenheimer Barbenheimer Buy a t-shirt with Barbenheimer Sweep. You know, get excited for this. Yeah, who would buy a fucking Barbenheimer t-shirt? What fucking loser? 
Yeah, I can't think of that loser either. Um, anyways, yeah, so Barbie and Oppenheimer, two movies we were both looking forward to, directed by two great directors, Greta Gerwig and Christopher Nolan. Yep. I absolutely Fred adore... Durst. Yeah, and Fred Durst. Um, but yeah, I adore the movies by both of these directors. They made some great movies. Little Women, we both saw in theaters in 2019. We yep. both walked out of that really liking it. Uh, yep. We saw Tenet during the pandemic, a movie that was hard to hear, but... Saw Tenet three, like three, three fucking, fucking times. times. Yeah, um, it, there was nothing at the time. Um, um, and then, obviously, right. Christopher Nolan made the Dark Knight trilogy, Inception, all that, yeah, blah, yeah, yeah. But, anyways, so... Are you made Inception? No way! No way! Um, anyways, so today we're back to talk about Barbie. Um, and Oppenheimer, obviously. So, we're gonna start with Barbie, because let's, let's start off with the, the fun, colorful movie before we have to talk about <laughs> the very depressing war drama next. So, the, are you okay? Fun. Fun. Yeah, that that was a th- theme of the movie. Was fun. You were supposed to have yeah. fun while watching. Yeah, it. the whole movie's like it's it's like Spider Verse. The whole movie's just fun. There's no there's no there's no spider. It's yeah. just fun. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking I, about. Okay. <laughs> we're not in the courtroom anymore. You don't have to speak in wiretap terms. Yeah. I, <laughs> Anyways, um, so the Barbie movie, directed by Greta Gerwig, starring Margot Robbie, Ryan Gosling, and a bunch of other actors. The Barbie oh, movie fuck. is all about how Barbie has been living in the perfect Barbie land, and she and her friends have been having sleepovers every night, having big musical dance numbers, beaching every day, until one day Barbie starts getting a little bit weird. She starts having flat feet, she starts having cell- cellulite, and she's forced to make a choice with Nicole Kidman's version of Barbie, go to the real world and figure out all of the secrets of it, or stay Nicole in Barbie Kidman. land. Why did I see Nicole Kidman? Kate McKinnon. Kate McKinnon. <laughs> okay, Kate McKinnon. And so she has to go to the Barbie That's or the real world hilarious. from Barbie. <laughs> that is kind of funny. She has to go from Barbie Land to the real world in order to fix whatever's going on wrong with her and Barbie Land. So the Barbie movie. Um, yeah, I will be the first to say I'm not the demographic for this in the slightest. This is made for women and little girls, which I absolutely appreciate because a lot of modern society does not allow most. I wouldn't say little girls. It's PG-13, well, isn't it? Yeah, but it's dealing with a, a doll that... Yeah, little, but, like, there's And there were themes. children in the theater, so... Yeah, correct. Yeah, I, w- I would say the appeal of this movie goes both ways, but definitely it is more adult. But I'm not the demographic of this movie. Like I said, this movie is meant to empower women, which is great, because we don't have a lot of movies nowadays that are by a female director in the spotlight pretty big, because... You know, we're still going through the struggles of patriarchy a little bit in the film industry. Um, But it was great to see Greta Gerwig take a property like this, run off with it, and just make it her own movie. Um, It's good. As somebody that is a man, I I, I liked it. I know that there are a lot of people out there that if you are a man and you hate this movie, that's a bad thing, which I don't fucking understand. Because one, why are you bitching about a movie made for women? It's not your demographic. And two, just because a woman is the lead and it's about like breaking away from the patriarchy does not make it. Yeah, it does not make it like woke trash. Like Jesus Christ, people. There's a 43 minute video you can go watch. Somebody made about why this movie sucks. Somebody. Some. Well, we'll we'll not give him the credit. Um, fucking fast talking bitch <laughs> um anyway so yeah uh i like the barbie movie what were your thoughts i like the barbie movie yeah uh so uh, there you go. yeah <laughs> we'll uh we'll get into the movie now so the movie starts off funnily enough with kind of this weird little opening the fucking mattel logo in the opening credits fucking insane it the was logos, yeah the, lo- insane. the logos open were nice but it opens with a bunch of little girls that are playing with dolls that are just babies because back then that's all little girls had was just baby dolls yeah. then barbie came along and changed everything uh, barbie 40s or 50s something like that and barbie came along and basically allowed women to be whatever they want and the opening establishes that she could be a doctor she could be the president she could be anything that she wants in the movie and it's kind of great space odyssey. yeah she could be in 2001 a space odyssey <laughs> and so it's great it's a fun little opening 
happening. Um, I was blown away by the production design of this movie. Oh yeah. my god, to like take dollhouses and somehow make them work in a movie like this, just yeah. in the color palettes and Jesus Christ. If this movie doesn't get a nomination for production design alone, that's a huge miss by the I mean, Academy. Everything design. Yeah, everything design. The cars were great. I loved how when they're going on like the different, like you have to go on a snowmobile, you have to go on a tandem bicycle, you have to go on a rocket ship. Everything has its it, own it, It's design. all unique and it's just really fun and weird. Yeah. Um, but besides being blown away by production, the movie starts off pretty much funnily enough. Barbie's going around saying hi to every other Barbie. Yep. Gets to the beach and we discover Helen Mirren says that the Kens only have purpose if Barbie looks at them. So Ryan Gosling, he gets looked at by Barbie, but he wants to prove more because he really likes her. He tries to go out and surf, hits the plastic wave in front of him, does a flip. It's pretty funny. Michael Sarah's there, which I have to say, I loved Michael Sarah, and this is yeah, Alan. He's just so weirdly funny. Gag, I yeah. love it. Um, there was somebody else that was supposed to be casted before him before he got the role, but they turned it down, and I'm glad it was Michael Sarah because this role is too weird to the point where I'm like, that is perfect yeah. for Michael Sarah. He just he's one of those guys that feels out of place everywhere he is, and him in that role is perfect. Yeah, um, but for the most part, it starts off pretty simple. They have a big dance number, and then Barbie gets like introspective. She's like, you guys ever think about dying, and everything stops. Then it all goes back to normal. She results it like, I'm dying to dance. And then the next day, she's getting flat feet. She's not able to walk normally. She's not uh, floating down from the roof into yeah. her car anymore. She's falling yeah. painfully. And cellulite her, is uh, forming. Cellulite. Her breath smells bad. She like freaks out when she wakes up because she's not expecting to. She's yeah. becoming a human, basically. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she's becoming more human. So the conflict of the movie pops up and Ken is still trying his hardest to obviously be Ken, to be the thing that matters to Barbie or only exists because he has to please Barbie. And so it's kind of nice getting to watch Ken step into this role of like, okay, I'm going to force myself on Barbie's little journey here because I'm Ken. We have to be together. That's just yeah. how the toy line was made. And they go on their journey in a car, fun little sequence where like we talked about earlier, they go through like a rocket ship, a boat, all that. And then they get to the real world where... This is where a lot of people probably hate this movie. Um, it just gives a pretty mostly realistic depiction of society. Yeah. If somebody like, and I will say this, Margot Robbie is a very attractive actress. Yes. And if somebody like that was walking around an area like California with a bunch of guys like that, you're getting catcalled. They're saying terrible shit to you. Like it, people that say the dialogue is unrealistic of how most men talk. I, I'm, I'm in college. Men in college bars just are fucking oh my animals. god animals and the women that are so uncomfortable there it's kind of like wow lucky me getting a girlfriend that fucking realized i wasn't like the rest of the douchebags yeah. but um that that is just verbatim i love that entire sequence because she walks over to some construction workers they're calling her baby saying she's got a nice body they can imagine her on their you know genitals yeah. and it's like oh my god I kind of love this because it's just establishing like here's how terrible the world is. <laughs> Ken's whole yeah. arc when he's in the real world is covering men run society and there is a fucking hilarious sequence where he goes to this big CEO corporation, he goes up the steps and like Bill Clinton's up there, some yeah. farmers, it shows all the pictures it's of these big like a, icons. It's just like a fucking uh, God, photo album showing all of these different like major male achievements of like big massive muscular muscly men yeah. lifting 
big heavyweights and you've got the presidents and the Mount Rushmore and shit. Yeah. All the dollar bills are being shown. <laughs> the fucking uh, Sylvester Stallone show at the ending is like the ideal man because he's it shows Rocky. three different pictures of Sylvester Stallone, each wearing a different coat, one of them with the beard. Yeah. It's crazy. It was missing Mark Wahlberg. Where was Mark Wahlberg? Yeah, where he, was he should have shown up. He should have shown up for five seconds. You need to pray on that. Yeah, he. where was old Marky Mark telling us we need to uh, find religion in our lives? And then his brother Donnie shows up and starts singing a fucking New Kids <laughs> on the Block song. Oh, <laughs> cop, baby. Yeah, um, but Barbie, meanwhile, goes to visit the person that she thinks is playing with her doll in real life because there's a mother character um, played by... Ah, you had the cast. You had one job, damn it. I'm fired. America Yeah, America Ferreira. Ferreira. Okay, the name was escaping me for a second. Um, but American Ferreira has actually been playing bar with Barbie, but Barbie doesn't realize this. She goes to the high school where she finds the daughter. and Sasha. Sasha. And Sasha rips Barbie apart about how she's actually ruined the ideas of a woman and how she's basically become, like, unrealistic for a lot of women in society. And she's a labeled a fascist by yeah, Sasha. Yeah, and yeah. basically Barbie breaks down from that. It, she's fucking crying. Uh, it, the whole speech that the little girl gives is kind of like, you know, d d it's very teenagers entry into politics. Yes, it very means. much. Yeah. <laughs> um, a lot, a lot of people on discords first entry to politics also. Yes. Um, but yes. So after that scene, you know, Barbie sits there and she just thinks like, I can't believe it. I used to be the symbol of like women empowerment and stuff like that. And now little girls don't even like me anymore. Meanwhile, Ken comes back. I just learned about horses and the patriarchy and men can do whatever they want. And yeah. it's kind of funny that it plays into that. Cause like, look, I get it's it, It's a comedy. You're supposed to laugh at this stuff, but it's people that take it too seriously, like, come on, the, the movie by the ending doesn't even say all men are horrible. Like, the people that are making the narrative this movie is about men fucking suck, that's not even the point by the ending, because it actually ends on a really nice note. Yeah. Like, Jesus Christ, just learn to take a joke, people. Anyways, um, but then Barbie gets caught by the Mattel Corporation, which I'll talk about this in a minute when we get to it. Um, she gets picked up by the Mattel people, and then America Ferrera and her daughter pull up because she's picking her up from school, and it's like, wait, it's a life-size Barbie. Follows them to the Mattel That's Corporation. Barbie. Yeah. Um, and then Ken goes back to Barbie Land to teach all the men, you know, what men in society are yeah, supposed to be Ken like. Ken goes on his own little side mission. Yeah, he goes on his douchebag arc. Um, <laughs> his his Logan Paul arc. Barbie gets brought to the Mattel Corporation, which the CEO is Will Ferrell. I'm going to just come out and say it right now. Will Ferrell hasn't been funny since 2014. <laughs> and I think a lot of people need to hear this. Because, look, Will Ferrell had his run of, like, funny comedies Wait, in the you 2000s. Mean, you mean the movie he did with Ryan Reynolds for Christmas? It was Fuck that movie. <laughs> that movie fucking sucks. Anyways, um, Will Ferrell has not been funny post-Lego movie. And I think it's more a factor of age, and he doesn't shape up any performance differently. He delivers it the same fucking loud, energetic voice that he's done for years. He basically just overly like quips with jokes like there's a section of this movie where they're in the Mattel room with Barbie where I swear to god they were just letting him improv and none yeah. of it landed like he talked about how he had a mother and like all this and then it ends with and I'm also friends with Jewish people and I'm like what what the fuck was that that's not funny it's just random to throw in there like Will Ferrell sucks in this movie I and he's not this guy has any Jewish yeah, friends yeah and and not one funny part of this I didn't laugh at any jokes with Will Ferrell which yeah, god yeah. just shows that you need this to put is, him away. This is a part of a big trend that I've been noticing recently where a uh, comedic actor, you know, kind of disappears from the limelight a little bit. That yeah. makes a big return in the popular movie. And everyone realizes, I mean, not everyone, but 
people start to realize, oh, this guy's not fucking funny. No, not funny, funny anymore. <laughs> Will Ferrell has sadly become one of those actors, because I love Talladega Nights, I like Anchorman, yeah. like, I yeah. love those funny little random comedies he made, but now, you, you can't do that anymore. Like, he, he doesn't have that age range of, like, a dude in his fucking 30s, 40s. Yeah, like, it, it doesn't it's work just, anymore. It's a tired out uh, gimmick for him to keep playing yeah. on. Yeah, not only that, but his character is supposed to kind of have an arc like President Business from the Lego movie, and I was just thinking... You just made the character worse. Like this is a worse version of that character, yeah, I can't essentially. Wait until the next uh, movie, it's Barbie Lego. Barbie <laughs> Lego. Uh, oh well, no, they sold the rights to Lego. Universal owns them now. Fuck. Yep. So the, we won't bullshit. get a Lego Movie Three, which I after the second one, I don't want one. I'm so crying. I'm um, crying right now. But anyway, so Barbie gets taken, and Will Ferrell's like, "Hey, why don't you get in this giant box over here, and we'll just send you back to Barbie Land?" But Barbie feels uncomfortable by it. She's like, "Can I go to the bathroom? Make sure my hair, hair's perfect." Then we get this fun little chase sequence where they're all going around the office and like chasing her and they just stiffly like stop and rotate and climb over shit and i get yeah. it's supposed to be funny but i didn't find any punchlines there funny it's the real world which yeah doesn't it doesn't like, make sense if, if they did it where they were running all stiff and stuff in the barbie world it would have been like oh yeah it's funny and cute because mm -hmm. they're all supposed to be dolls and shit but this is the real world and they're supposed to be like human beings yeah. and they're running like they have two joints one in their elbow and one in their shoulder yeah i think the mattel stuff's just fucking bad it shouldn't have been in the movie i get they're trying to do like a meta commentary on mattel but honestly if you just kept it the the entire movie of like barbie teaching ken that the patriarchy can't run things and barbie discovering like you know barbie has to be more than just a symbol in this that's fine you know but you you threw in unfunny will ferrell and these boardroom people that just sucked and i just any scene they're in i my face instantly went blank like will i was just done bitch he is a bitch now um anyways but yeah so barbie very much child entertainer vibes yeah at this point he kind of would be child it's entertainer what, vibes. that's the vibe that he gives the area we're from ironically a lot of those redneck children would probably find him funny because they grew up with this movie sound of freedom let's go oh i'm sorry we're not going to be reviewing the sound of freedom that does the ai episode yeah, we have an AI episode out on The Sound of Freedom. Yep. Um, but yeah, so Barbie ends up escaping with America Ferrera and her daughter's like, let's just go back to Barbie land. I'll show you what ideally a woman-ran society looks like. Get back, and it's turned into the Kingdom, where Ken and all the other Kens have basically turned their Barbies into housewives from the 50s. Yes. Uh, all they do is bring beer and show their breasts and wear tight outfits. And it's like, okay, um, I definitely see what the movie's trying to make a point of here, because this is like there's some people that still think we should live in this type of society and it's like no that's fucking terrible for a woman to go back to that absolutely fucked me up to find out that the what the dolls do in their world affects the uh shipping of toys of toys in the yeah real world because there was a part where okay, okay. Will again Ferrell, the mattel funny, stuff sucks yeah but the fucking uh, guy in the in the warehouse just calling and being like, "Man, we've got all these uh, dojo mojo whatever the fuck uh, things that we're shipping." It's like, so the doll world <laughs> affects the real world. We are being controlled by the dolls. Apparently. Um yeah, but so Ken goes through this whole arc where he's like, well, Barbie, men run everything here, and you have to be my housewife. And she's like, I'm not... Big meat yeah, coat. Yeah, and then she's like, I'm not doing that. And Ken being fucking... Because Ryan Gosling kills it in this role, I should he's, mention. Oh, he's playing dude bro, the dude bro. Yeah. If he got an Oscar nomination, I wouldn't be upset. Like, the people that are campaigning for him now, oh yeah. my god, he's funny in this. But, um, yeah, he just, he can't accept it, so he, like, hides his emotion, because 
he's a big strong man he can't show emotion that's patriarchy baby it's patriarchy you're not supposed to cry if you're a man so um anyways they move on from this and barbie's like well you know i lost to the ken so i'm just gonna lay down and die until all the other barbies give in and america fair is like all right we'll just leave so they go on their journey back and alan's in the back of the car and the car flips over and alan sees like a bunch of kens that are building a wall that's straight up workers. they can't they can't build it wide they just build it up <laughs> yeah. um the kens spot them and i th this made me laugh so fucking hard michael sarah walks up as alan's like my name's Alan. You're about to get some Alan. He starts beating up beating all this shit. No, no hits on Alan. Yeah, no, no hits. hits. On Alan. He even Alan chokes is the a guy fucking out. Badass. Scott Pilgrim, a bitch. Yeah, Alan I... wins, baby. He would have taken on those seven X's and won every single fight without taking a single punch to the face. Oh my god, it's Scott, you pussy. <laughs> It's so fucking funny though to watch Michael Sarah do all that. That's I, I was awesome. like, I was like, I need an Alan spinoff movie. These big beefy dude bro Kens go over and they're like, "What's wrong with you, little bitch?" And Alan just starts swinging, takes the guy, chokes him with a fucking shovel. Yeah, hard ass. Yeah, he's a hard ass. But America Ferrer and Sasha are like, "Wait, we have to go back and try to fix Barbie society because things can't be this way. Another society ran by the patriarchy." So they go back, they find Barbie at Weird Barbie's house by not Nicole Kidman. Yes. Um, Nicole Kidman. Yeah, and so they meet up with Kate McKinnon, and she's there, and she's like, well, I figured there'd be some way to unbrainwash this Barbie from her depression state, but there is nothing. And then... You won a Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the fuck, what the fuck, fuck this is. About. And so they go in there, um, and they find the other discontinued Barbies. There's a version called Skipper that just had inflated breasts. There was a version of Ken that was a sugar daddy, and the joke is that the dog's name was Sugar, and he's the daddy. <laughs> and then Ken with a magic earring, where I was like, were these I really... Ideas? I think that was gay Ken. There was a gay Ken doll like, that. Okay, it wasn't intentionally a okay. gay Ken doll, <laughs> but they were taking ideas of fashion and like clubs and stuff and cycling it through Ken. And uh, there was a ring that guys were wearing as necklaces, and it was a gay thing. Oh wow! And Mattel put out a Barbie, a Ken doll. With the ring, so Ken was fucking gay. You <laughs> said a gay Ken arc. Um, it was gay Ken. Gay Ken. I, I don't know if um, that was actually, but I God, I fucking hope it was. Yeah. So Barbie's down on her luck. She's crying. She's like, I can't do anything. I'm not pretty anymore. Like, I, girls don't run society. I failed all them. And America Ferrera basically spells out the entire theme of the movie in that scene, which if they were going for like the, the me not the message, the speech at the end of Little Women, if they were going for that kind of draw... It's a little too on the nose compared to Little Woman because I was like, okay, this is a theme movie. I completely get that, but you spelled the whole thing out rather than just making it subtle. Because Little Women, it's more subtle towards the ending, and it shows the little montage of all of them and their different paths of life and stuff. I'm like, yeah. okay, this is great. This one, it's like, no, we're just gonna spell it out. And I'm like, uh, okay, fine, I guess, whatever. Oh, uh, what's what's the uh, word? Uh, exposition. Exposition. Yeah. Um. Yeah, there was a lot of exposition uh, at the tail end of this movie because it was just a lot of like speeches and yeah, speeches. Yeah. Which, you know, I <clears throat> I didn't mind. It was it was a little it's over, all right. it was a little over the yeah. uh, overdone on a little on the nose. Uh, could have been trimmed down a bit. Been more show don't tell. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, <clears throat> maybe like a montage of them, you know, getting all the Barbies rounded up rather than five of them in a row and then just oh they're <laughs> yeah yeah uh but yeah it's you know yeah 
Barbie. Barbie. Um, so then the Barbies <laughs> devise a plan. They're gonna use uh, one Barbies as the dummy to basically lure the Ken away from their Barbie. They take yeah. that Barbie, unbrainwash her with America Ferrera. Cycle repeats as they go around until all the Barbies are freed. And then they all hatch this elaborate plan one night where Margaret Robbie's like, okay, I'm gonna go meet Ken. I'm gonna pretend that I wanna be his boyfriend or his girlfriend. And so they have their little romance scene yeah. where Ken's playing the guitar and Ryan Gosling sings for real because I forgot in La La Land he sings and I was like yeah he does have a singer's voice so <laughs> singing that fucking what song what song is that? I don't God, know I know it I know the song too but I just don't know the is title is it a Creed song? it might be I don't know oh fuck I'll look I'll see if I can it wasn't with it. arms wide open I know that but fucking um it would have been fucking awesome if it was uh, yeah. uh, Hero by the guy from Nickelback. Oh yeah, the the guy that made that from Studio Six Six Six. Anyways, um, <laughs> so they they all start to go to their different Kens, and they start making all the Kens jealous. So the Kens break out into a Ken war because they're angry with each other. And Ryan Gosling has a musical number where he sings about how he's just Ken, yeah. and it was funny at first, and the song's very catchy. But it's dragged on way too long. It was one of the few jokes in the movie where I was like, that is dragged on for all its merit. And there are a couple like that. Like, there's constant ones where they talk about beaching people off. as like, this is getting fucking old after a while. There are ones where it's just like, oh, I'm so perfectly perfect like this. And then Ken will repeat how he's a man and do this. And it's just like, some of these jokes could have been condensed to, like, save the runtime. And especially the whole I Am Ken sequence. Like, you could cut half that. You didn't need the dance number. You didn't need any of that shit. I understand it's meant to be funny. I didn't laugh at it. But, like, God, you can cut down some jokes. So, you know what that reminded me of? What? <laughs> Remember in Frozen 2, that fucking 80s boy band song? Oh, my God. With I Jonathan hated, Groff? Yeah. I hated so fucking much. Yeah. It kind of reminded me of that. Yeah, it does. The Lost not in as, the Woods. Not as bad, but still. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyways... After all the Kens are done, they're like, wait, we were supposed to go vote to change the Constitution to the Constitution of the Ken. Well, all the other Barbies are there. They tear down all the Kens' patriarchy stuff. They reinsert they their Constitution, voted. and they voted. All the Kens come back riding like Monty Python on horses. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Um, that was a good bit. Yeah, they show up, and rather than like get into a fight or demand they stop, they all just watch Ken break down. Yeah. He goes upstairs, he starts crying, he's showing emotion, and this is where Barbie's like, you know... It's okay. You can show emotion. Like, men don't have to be this perfect rah-rah thing. You and I aren't meant to be, you know, together, but I want to be your friend. You know, you're a good person. Yeah. And Ken slowly drags out this another unfunny joke where he's just like, I'm fucking lost with that. I'm like, okay, again, yeah. this will be funny for, like, a minute. But the fact you dragged it out for about 10 minutes just kind of shows you needed to cut some jokes here. Um, but anyways, Ken does that, and then all the other Kens are like, yeah, I'm just Ken. And they all learn to become friends with the Barbies, and then by the ending, Will Ferrell's ass shows up and is like, no, 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 blah, blah, blah. And they're like, no, you have to give all of us the endings they want. And so I guess Will Ferrell just does. I was like, so why was he even brought in as a con? Again, the Mattel stuff is fucking stupid. Cut it out of the movie. It it changes nothing. Um, But America Ferrera gets her idea for a Barbie. That's nice. Ken gets to be independent. All the Barbies get to be independent. But then... Barbie, stereotypical Barbie, doesn't know what she wants. And Ruth shows up at the ending, played by an actress from 80 for Brady, whose name escapes me at the moment. Um, yeah, um, but Ruth shows up and is like, you are meant to be the Barbie that... Rhea Perlman. 
Is it? Wow. Yeah, okay, it is Rhea Perlman. Yeah, 80 for Brady's Rhea Perlman. Um, anyways, so she shows up and she's like, well, I created you to be the ideal Barbie, but you're actually named after my daughter and like, I'm not, you know, the perfect woman either, but that's kind of the point is women can be anything they want. I can create something like you that was just an idea and it launched. And I, it's got great messaging because Barbie wants to be more than just like the centerpiece for, you know, female empowerment. She wants to actually yeah. do stuff and get out there. And so by the ending, she goes into the real world to be an actual woman and they have a funny joke at the ending where she goes see your gynecologist. I'm here to see my gynecologist. Yeah. Um, and then that's basically the movie because yeah. we didn't say for the post credits because like every family member got up. I'm like, I'm not waiting for a line of people to get the fuck out of here. So. Oh, was there uh, post credits? I don't think so, okay. no. I was going to say a weird thing. If there was, someone let us know, but we didn't stay there for post-credits. We just assumed. The Toyverse. Yeah, the Toyverse. Because Mattel Mattel is making a whole universe off their toys now. Are they fucking really? Yep, there's going to be a Magic 8-Ball movie. Dude, we are in the marketing era of movies we've yeah. got we're gonna we've got nintendo movies we've got sega movies we've got fucking nike movies we've got the tetris movie we've got barbie the lego movie dude well, we're in a whole new era and we're this about should... to have none of this because of a goddamn strike by greedy corporations not if i can get ai involved no that's wah, the opposite wah, wah. no um but yeah that's that's pretty much the barbie movie um this is good like i said i'm not the demographic for it definitely women and fucking little children are gonna get more of a kick out of this than me um but i did enjoy it for the most part like i said jokes go on a bit too long all the mattel stuff with will ferrell could be cut out of this movie and it would be done some of the speeches are a little on the nose not as subtle as they could be um but for the most part good i would still recommend people go see this i think i'm gonna give this just a seven out of ten it was good i thought this was a pretty good movie uh thought you know it had a pretty good message uh behind it i thought that across the board everyone did pretty good you know will ferrell was a bit meh uh some of the jokes went on a little too long uh but you know i really liked the music i really liked a lot of the uh the acting in it i liked the story uh, i'm gonna give it like an out of ten okay so uh now we move into i am become sleepy i, I take a nap now snore, snooze, i become snooze, the snoozer of snoozies so after getting away from the colorful world of uh barbie it's time to get into the dark depressing undertone of uh, nuclear armageddon with oppenheimer this is as we stated at the beginning uh christopher nolan's new project we are fans of christopher nolan's work um, he is a director that has very much a style of non-linear storytelling, and a lot of times when it is linear, it's also just very confusing as hell. Look at Tenet. Um, yeah. But one thing that I do love about Mr. Christopher Nolan is his movies are made to be these big epic projects. And Oppenheimer, from all the trailers we kept getting in theaters, was being plagued up as this awesome big movie, this big blockbuster temple about this man's life. And most directors can't do that. Most people see a biopic, they go... I might catch it on fucking Netflix when it comes out. But when you see Christopher Nolan and you have the extensive work of his that's just great, you go, well, I gotta see it in a theater, right? And he's now become a big IMAX shill. He loves IMAX. He loves filming on IMAX. He's broken several IMAX cameras filming different things. Um, but I really appreciate what he is doing as a filmmaker. And Oppenheimer being his latest project, it is based on the book American Prometheus, the tragedy... What is it called? The Tragedy and uh, Sorrows or something like that of J. Robert Oppenheimer. Uh, you'll look it up. But I, uh, I read the book when I took my Cold War class in my junior year of college. And 
Very interesting book. Um, I like it personally. It was one of my favorite history books. The Triumph and Tragedy, Tragedy of J. Okay. Robert Oppenheimer. Um, but <coughs> one thing that I got to say is it's a book I do recommend. Uh, like Killers of the Flower Moon, which I'm also going to plug. Um, definitely pick up that book too. Great piece of history to learn about. Uh, I was hooked into this movie because of the book, mostly. Um, I think Robert J. Oppenheimer is an interesting man to make a movie about because he has done so much to contribute to society. Not in a great way, obviously. But um, the movie itself, taking a character like this with a very morally gray subject matter... I'm blown the fuck away by this movie. It might be my favorite Mullen movie. Um, I know that's recency bias kicking in, but this just feels like a culmination of all his talents in one film. And to take a three-hour biopic that's mostly 95% people talking. Yeah. Wow. I mean, uh, all right, this is, a this is gonna be a tough one to talk about for a second. So, I am a big fan of of how this movie looks. Yep. I'm a big fan of Christopher Nolan's directing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I thought that a lot of the performances in this movie were really, really good, which we'll get into the cast. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, It was a big cast. Uh, the use of, uh, the practical effects for the bomb was, I mean, fucking, it made it. Yeah. I, I don't know if you noticed, but I was leaning to the side a little bit Mm -hmm. during the movie. Uh, right when the bomb dropped and I was plugging my, uh, my right ear. Yeah. Uh, I was trying to protect myself from the upcoming very loud noise that I knew yeah. was about to happen. Uh, I was off by about a minute because of, the of delay how delayed of, yeah, it yeah, would be, yeah. the sound was. Uh, but yeah, it's a it's a really well put together film. Um, mm-hmm. There's you know it. I can understand why it would be confusing uh, for people. Especially if they don't know about the black and white and color stuff mm-hmm. with, you know, the black and white is the more objective, as objective as, as history can get. Yeah. And the color scenes are the more subjective from the point of view of Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a really interesting way of doing a biopic because yeah. I I don't think I've ever seen a biopic actually, you know, mess around with a style like that where it's yeah. like, here's, you know, the story from the official historian, the quote unquote official historian's point mm-hmm. of view. Because, you know, there's no actual truth in what we know about history, obviously. And then, uh, I I just think it's a very interesting concept that I know there's probably going to be some biopics that try to copy this. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if any of them will will ever... Yeah, ever get to that point. Yeah. Uh, Score. Guide. (laughs) <laughs> Ludwig Gordonson came out yeah. swinging. Those IMAX fucking speakers, dude. Yeah, I think my favorite track from the movie is "Can You Hear the Music," which was the oh. violins when he's going to uh, Bourne to visit Bourne and study there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, one thing that I love is the score amplifies this movie. And there are just sections where there isn't the score, where he just lets it be all performance based. Fucking really well intercut. Like my god, is it yeah. good? Um, uh, and like the score cutting out when the bomb drops, drops yeah. uh we've seen a lot of movies recently where they've played around with that where uh mm-hmm. they cut the score out at a certain point yeah. and leave that total silence i think this movie did it really well yeah uh but like just the score in general is mm-hmm. fucking beautiful yeah it was such a great sounding movie in general it was those imax speakers really helped yeah they did this theater i was worried about when i first had to go see it before i saw it yes. with you i was like oh no i haven't been i haven't seen a movie in imax there since john wick john wick was good in imax but some of the speakers were not great um and it distorted a lot of the dialogue at times and this movie i knew would be very like naturally based sound and dialogue because no one likes to drown in realistic sound with people talking which yeah. i like because that is definitely a style this that 
this movie it. did not have the problem or of his not, past not ones. nearly as bad yeah. at least uh the problem of his previous movies especially like you know people said with tenet and stuff yeah where <laughs> the uh audio mixing was just fucking terrible yep. you could, this movie you could for i would say like 95 percent of the dialogue was pretty yeah. under, like easy yeah. to understand uh, and that's coming from someone who's partially deaf. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So before we get into the, the actual meat potatoes of me talking about like sequences in this movie, how they're adapted, what I liked about it, um, we do need to address the subject matter of the movie. So the subject matter of the movie yes. is two bombs were dropped on Japan in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Yes. Um, this has been a very divisive piece of history because many innocent civilians were killed. Over 220,000 people died. Yes. Um, whether that was the bomb itself or the radiation they experienced afterward, um, there's still parts of it that haven't recovered. Um, if you, uh, I mean, yeah, there's uh, nineteen forty. So there's people who are potentially still alive, yeah, still alive being affected by yeah. the uh, by the bomb. Yeah. Um. Obviously, something like Chernobyl, which you know happened years after. That's something that still isn't cleaned up. You can't go to that specific area. The yep. reactor's cooled now, but obviously, it's still, still toxic. Yeah, toxic to everywhere. Um. As somebody that loves history, I will admit this is a tough subject matter for me because I had two grandpas served in World War II. Um, one of them was in the Italy campaign fighting the Germans. The other one was actually in the Pacific tour. Um, he never saw Iwo Jima or any of those big island fights, but he did fight in a couple. And he would have likely, if we did invade the Japanese mainland and their islands, would have probably served in that as a last resort GI push. Um, so, you know, watching this movie, you think of it through two lenses, obviously. One, it's fucking terrible what happened to these innocent civilians. The bomb never should have been dropped on them. It should have been more focused on smaller uh, camps of soldiers, but obviously they weren't big enough for them to drop in those sectors. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, the other way you have to look at it too a little bit is, you know, there were millions of Americans signed up for this, obviously. Um, they fought in these wars, terrible things happened, and at the same time, many of them... Uh, <laughs> had the choice between we have to go fight on the Japanese mainland or we can put a quick stop to this. So the film balances those two lenses and that's how most people look at this side of history is those two ways. Personally, I'm in the camp that I do not think it was right that we did this at all. Those Japanese civilians didn't deserve to die. The atomic bomb is one of the worst things to happen to humanity, but in a way it did save a lot of lives, which I'm not going to say like, obviously the Japanese civilians lives didn't matter more than the Americans. That's not true at all. But I do understand it from that perspective of history and how you look at it. Cause a lot of people look at these type of historical events and only look at it one way versus another, but you have to find a balance for that, which I appreciate Nolan did because this movie, if it were a lesser director, would have made Oppenheimer the hero. Does not do that at all. As you're I, watching this, I, you discover yeah, he was I, a pretty not great guy, yeah. um, and he didn't realize his whole, like, what he had done until it was too late. I will say, uh, at the behest of... Um, Oppenheimer, I guess. Yeah. Uh, this movie... I mean, I'm going to be honest. The movie makes Oppenheimer look like a total piece of shit. Yeah. He's very back and forth mm -hmm. with uh, what he says. Yeah, he does contradict himself a lot. Yes. There is a scene we'll uh, talk about where he definitely did contradict he, himself. He contradicts himself, like, back to back a, yeah. a lot of times. Mm -hmm. He, you know, he's... Uh, the best way I can describe him is a spineless fool. Mm-hmm. Uh, who lets people push him around. He doesn't stick to his guns on anything. Nope. Uh, the moment he found out that he might be getting in trouble for being a communist, he's like, oh, I'm not a communist. I, yeah. I, 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 that I would never, never happen. Know, I, yeah. uh, you know, and he, he was an initial person who had... Uh, 
the opinion of, oh, this is, you know, this bomb could be terrible. Mm-hmm. But as soon as he knew it would, you know, make him a big name, he was like, oh, well, we got to develop this. Yeah. The government wants me to do it. And once he started to get detractors, he uh, would he would talk in circles. He's he was very good at talking in circles mm-hmm. to make his point as obscure as possible. Very true. Uh, while still getting the slightest glimpse of a point across. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, not to say that the the U.S. government at the time was just as bad. Yeah, because th- this film also does highlight the problems with our current U.S. government, which went I mean, into the it, 40s. And everyone in this movie is just a fucking idiot. Yeah. The way that they're the, they're portrayed, they're just stupid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess I'll delve into the movie itself now. Uh, the movie opens with Oppenheimer first off uh, with his time at Cambridge, where we're seeing him think about you know like a great fire. The movie opens with the text that Prometheus stole the fire of the gods from Zeus, and for that he was chained to a rock for all eternity and tortured. Love that opening because it's basically the set piece, like thematic, what we're going to see throughout this yeah. movie. Um, then we intercut it with him being on a small trial, a small council in which he is, as Robert Downey Jr. says many times, we are not trying to convict, we are simply denying. So this entire trial sequence, they're not convicting him of being a communist or a traitor to the country. It's just an entire like front, basically, to just eventually deny it, him his security clearance. Yeah, they're they're it's perjury. Yeah, very much. It's uh, their way of doing this under the radar where you know they're not in an official courtroom they're Mm -hmm. just in this small side room that they set up some tables in and all of the i think i'm pretty sure they said all the people except for oppenheimer's like one lawyer all the people were handpicked by by, strauss uh, strauss in order to uh perjure uh, Oppenheimer. Yeah. Um, and after that, we cut to Robert Downey Jr., which is after this trial took place, in which he is about to be put into President Dwight D. Eisenhower's cabinet. He's going to be a cabinet member. But he has to go through a trial with the Senate where he has to basically prove, like, oh, well, you were the head of the AC. You allowed Oppenheimer to do this. We have to make sure that all the stories match up, that what you did, all the scientists respect you to get into the cabinet. And Strauss thinks, because he's already been through this campaign and it's tore most of the scientists' morale down on him, oh, I've got this in the bag. Um, but it intercuts back, obviously, to Oppenheimer's whole origin. So he starts off in Cambridge. He's a very sleepy guy because he doesn't like it over there. He's very homesick. Um, he misses a lecture because he breaks a beaker and his professors, like, just clean it the fuck up. Yeah. Gets there late, has all of these impending visions of, like, things that are going on in his head, which I love. First off, the one thing that I thought I was going to be worried about going into this, they were going to talk so much science, not show any of that. But then it intercuts with like all these different sparks, talking about atoms being cut, and you have these yep. practical made effects, maybe some VFX added in there later, that really helps like amplify what he's thinking yeah. about. That and uh, the writing on the board, which just adds to the intensity of yeah. the scene. Because he even does it in a the... way of like, I'm yeah, sure I they mean, brought in I'm, a professor to... But... They, yeah, I'm sure they did the Futurama thing where <laughs> yeah. there was... Uh, you know, like 17 people with uh, degrees that they brought on and were like, hey, do this math for us and then we're going to have Killian Murphy act like he's yeah. actually... And he does a great job. Like, this yeah. whole performance, my God. <laughs> Killian Murphy's performance in this movie... Probably really wins good. Best Actor, should, in my opinion. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, don't I don't think there's any other performances that, no. so far this year. No, that hasn't impressed me that much. No. Um, I, can't, I mean, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but yeah. that's not... <laughs> um, But yeah, so, as this is going on, uh, he wakes up the next day because he poisoned his professor's apple with cyanide to kill him. He runs and uh, one of the other scientists played by Kenneth Branagh as their professors and he basically talks him like talks to him trying to stall him and everything and Kenneth Branagh comes to the conclusion you're not good with beakers and potions you want to learn about quantum mechanics you need to get out of here you need to go study under uh, this Heisenberg character you need to go uh, study in Bourne you have to meet this man named Benny 
uh, goes out there, studies, meets Heisenberg, you know, the whole works, and then realizes once he knows enough about quantum mechanics, time for me to go back to the U.S. and start teaching this as a practical thing. So he leaves Germany because Hitler was starting to rise up against the Jews, you know, Kristallnacht happened, all that, yep. so he had to get out of there. Um, once he comes back to the U.S., he accepts his application at Berkeley, and he begins teaching to his first ever student, only one student, about quantum mechanics, and then the class slowly grows. They talk about dying stars. Um, Dr. Lawrence is next door, who is played by an actor that we were just talking about earlier that uh, I'm glad is getting a second chance. Oh, Josh Hartnett. Josh Hartnett, because Josh Hartnett made a terrible Guy Ritchie movie that came out in March that nobody saw. Um, it's called Operation oh. Rouge de Gorge. It was a fucking awful movie because Guy Ritchie has lost his talent as a director. Um, but I'm glad that, you know, he got out of shit films like those and got to be in something like this because he's a damn good actor. You just need the right, right? Like a lot of these actors like Alden Eckright, Dane DeHaan that showed up here, even fucking Josh Peck. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, these For are actors. Actors, I mean, yeah. Josh Peck, I personally, like, the one or two line deliveries that he had, I was like, that, I, I can't see anyone but yeah, Josh other Peck. Than yeah, the top of his lungs just because of shit. his, uh, the way that, like, even just the way that his face mm, moves, it's, yeah. it's so, like ingrained in my mind that that's josh from yeah Drake Drake and josh, and josh yeah. yeah um but he takes actors like these with kind of limited ranges and he's able to expand upon them more he knows what they're good at he knows like this is how i can showcase them without making them overact and so yeah. all of those actors that were kind of like blacklisted from hollywood for bad roles do great oh and also roderick rules in this we should mention yes he has a uh, scene where he actually pulls, Devin Bostic. he pulls oppenheimer up by his underwear and hangs him and calls him a nerd and mm -hmm. then goes in the loaded diaper yeah, van he bullies him yeah he bullies, he bullies him. him um yeah but so this whole great opening but at the same time he's being cross-examined by i think it's is it jason isaac's character cross-examined yeah jason yeah isaac, okay yeah. so he's being uh who plays roger, roger Robb, Robb, who yep. is also a tyrannical lawyer for the time i will mention um but he's being cross-examined throughout his story so we'll cut back to him being like well how did you uh not come across like this suspicion of this person was a communist you didn't feel to report it this person you hung around with had communist ties and was asking for information that would have been treason and i do like how it will intercut between his story with that yep. but when he's there and all these things are happening he also decides to join the communist party um the movie does make a distinction which i love emily blunt later we'll get into that communism is one thing it can't be defined as two different fucking things um but I do love that he goes and joins this communist party. They talk about the moral scruples of it and everything. He talks about how, like, well, you know, communism's going to be our allies. We're going to, you know, rally around this because Hitler and what they're doing over there is wrong. Um, and then he meets Gene Tatlock, played by Florence Pugh. Yes. Um, we don't know a lot about Gene Tatlock. We'll talk about one thing with her later because her character goes through something that is still mired in a bit of ambiguity and controversy, but meets her has sex with her she grabs the sanskrit that he's uh learning to read and is like can you read this yeah we'll actually read it in the text and he says the i am become death line that's been mean to death on Did, the internet yeah and during during the sex during the sex yeah they had sex while talking about it um and so just because they could yeah why not it was the times i guess uh so they cut back to them walking down the street and after this robert figures out one of his students is running off back to tell him that the scientists in Germany have split the atom. Nuclear fission is possible. Yep. The bomb can be built. And Oppenheimer starts to realize this. He starts to do mathematics on the board about how it can't be done. And then his student comes in, look at the vision pulses like this is. I've seen three changes in this amount of minutes. Um, and so they figured out it is possible with neutrons smashing against nuclei all that. Yeah, they way, were right? actually able to test it because they mm -hmm. had the, uh, the equipment, the for equipment the time. that they that was built there in the radiology uh, yeah. lab yeah yeah radiology lab um so 
after this, you know, Oppenheimer starts spinning, well, you know, something bigger is coming on here, but he's still, even his communist ties, he meets his wife Kitty at the time, ends up, you know, deciding I want to marry her more because I like her more scruples, because Kitty's whole thing is she's starting to lose faith in the communist party because she's like, we're sending all this money for men to go die and fight in these small, like, mud fight skirmishes and stuff, and very true for the time, a lot of the small, like, like the Bolshevik were uprising and stuff, were these small yep. skirmishes where if you put money into it, there was no guarantee they were going to win this, and the communist uprisings didn't win a lot of areas, one, because World War II and one at the same time like it just never would happen for complete communist overthrow unless you're Russia obviously um, but I do like that she kind of convinced him like the communist party of the time is not all it's worked up to be you should leave it because one day this is going to become treason um, so he ends up leaving leaves Jean him and her have this nice bonding moment where he's like well you know if you ever need me I promise I won't be too far away and she kind of takes that with a grain of salt yeah comes back their vision or their uh, paper on what was it I think it was Black Holes or something like that gets published. Yeah. Um, and they're all like, oh, this is glorious. You know, our paper's going to go through. They get upstaged by Hitler invading Poland. Yes. And I will admit, I do like how this movie never says what time period they're in, but it is just constantly moving through yeah, World War Yeah, you'll see, like, a, a newspaper or, like, something to say. Yeah, like, something like, subtle. Or, like, you'll just see the hair color mm -hmm, on change, Oppenheimer's yeah. head change or something. And I do like that. That is a very subtle change that Nolan didn't have to spoon-feed it to the audience. Yeah, you could just didn't have to have a little uh number in the number bottom, in the bottom like saying, most movies 1941 or something yeah. like that i guess elvis never does either so is elvis a good biopic elvis has numbers i'm pretty sure at some uh, yeah, probably, it probably where they have, uh, i was just trying to meme the best movie of 2022 the worst movie <laughs> of 2022 the worst movie ever uh but yes. yeah so then uh dr lawrence comes in as another fast whatever it was called back then i forget the uh, acronym for it uh, f a-E-C-T? Yeah, F-A-E-C-T, I think is more right. Um, and they're trying to unionize with the students. Dr. Lawrence walks in and he's like, you have nothing in common with dock workers or anything like that. Just get the hell out of here. Stops Oppenheimer and is like, look, you don't even know what's going on. I can't bring you onto this project. And he's like, oh, I know what the project is. The Nazis are going to be able one day because of Einstein's or letter and warning to Hitler about the atomic bomb being built. They're trying to build the bomb. And so he makes promise to Lawrence, I will cut all communist ties, which like we said is a bit of a, oh, wow, just to get yeah. on this project, you'd willingly he, cut your communist to just give up anything he believes in in order to do this other thing mm -hmm. just because the u.s government's like hey we're, we're gonna give you money yeah we're to gonna do give it. you money yeah. to do it and so joins it gets visited by matt damon who does a great job as general gross general gross was a hard ass in history we learned a little bit about him um definitely seemed like a man that was hell-bent on just doing whatever was good for the country which obviously everybody was during world war ii we wanted to kill the nazis and beat the japanese and all that but um it was really really cool that he played groves almost to a t super well uh, Matt Damon's like, well, how do you propose that we even get this project off its feet? Oppenheimer says, well, we take all of America's industrial might, you know, from Tennessee to this state to all this. We cross them by railroad to one spot in Los Alamos because Oppenheimer has... Uh, lived in New Mexico his whole life. He knows the mountains of Los Alamos really well. So he decides, let's just build a fake town here. You know, we're going to have people live here for at least two to three years. Yep. We'll build this atomic bomb, get your project done. Everybody goes home. Nobody talks about it, right? Um, Matt Damon takes it. They go and recruit all these scientists like Jack Quaid, Josh Peck, you know, all these different people. Yeah. Um, come back and they all convene into this one area. But... Also, at the same time, the court case is going on with Robert Downey Jr., where they're like, well, how did this not concern you that he was tied to the Communist Party and all this? He's like, well, you know, I just, I didn't think about it. And there's a really crucial scene where this is kind of where RDJ and uh, Oppenheimer split, where he brings him first into this haven for independent minds, tells him they'll be living here. Um, Oppenheimer looks down on him a lot because he doesn't respect him as a person because he's not a great scientist or anything like that. Yep. Even 
basically mocks him saying you were a lowly shoe salesman. He goes, no, I was just a shoe salesman. Um, and so this is kind of where we get the split because he goes out to the pond to talk to Einstein. Einstein snubs him and this is yeah. where he begins his descent into, God, he's trying to turn all these scientists against me and he's a piece of shit. Yeah. Um, but they're cutting back in between that. He'll talk slowly about how like, well, this man named William Borden uh, had this file on Oppenheimer. And so that was enough uh, evidence for him to convict him to be a communist and, you know, maybe take away his security clearance. And all Nekrit's like, well, how would he get access to this file? It's like, well, I, I don't know. The AC must have brought it forward. Um, but a little scruple in his plan is he didn't know scientists would be calling on for firsthand witnesses, uh, which basically completely shot him in the foot at that point. But uh, his own hubris, because he even has a line where he says, um, you know, amateurs shoot for the sun, but they burn up too fast. But the real power hides in the shadows. But he revealed himself from the shadows too early, which I think is brilliant. That's just great storytelling by Nolan because his own hubris, much like Oppenheimer, led to his downfall. Um, but I do love that it intercuts in between them constantly asking RDJ, well, what about this thing? What about this thing? And RDJ just tries to bullshit his best way around it. Oh, I didn't know this or that he'd do this. Because yeah, again, history, he, like you were talking about, is so mired in the fact that like, oh, we're supposed to build up people like this. So, you know, did a good thing. And then it's like, we don't have all the facts. We only have the small objective truth we're given, which yeah. is Louis Strauss try to commit perjury, try to commit basically treason to the yeah, United States. It, the, all of the uh, black and white stuff with uh, Strauss, uh, you can tell that he's cracking under the pressure because he, you yep. know, he's constantly hands on his face, just like constantly uh, fidgeting around on his face. Yeah. He's, he's great he's acting. Saying, he's saying uh, stuff that the people, you know, behind the bench are saying, uh, all right, well, that's dumb. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Uh, he's, and even when he gets back to, I guess when they take a recess, when mm -hmm. he gets to his office or wherever they're, yeah, their little they, room they keep him in. Yeah. He, uh, he's, you know, he's loosening his tie, unbuttoning the top button and then he's, he'll either be walking back and forth or sitting and just looking stressed out. Yeah. So you can tell that over the course of the movie, he's cracking under that pressure that he's being put yeah. under. Um, Oppenheimer does visit Einstein a couple times in the movie. Um, you know, because Albert Einstein has just kind of become a meme, essentially, when you hear this character, the, like the MCU has yeah. name-dropped him, and it's just goofy as fuck. First time I saw him, I laughed a little bit, because I'm like, oh, well, I mean, you've taken this character, it, like this real-life person that was a great human being and like did wonders for discovering all of these different uh, theories in science. It, it, what, what it is, is it doesn't really look like Albert Einstein. It just looks like everyone's grandpa. Yeah, I get, like, so, they, they, they and, tried, because nobody looks like Albert Einstein, yeah. that's so difficult. <laughs> Not just that, but also, it seems like every time they reveal him, they're revealing him in, like, a way that they're trying to be funny about it. Like, the one where he's standing behind the car. And he just waddles and over, he just, yeah. He's, like, waddling over, and yeah. uh, he starts talking to uh, Oppenheimer about a conversation that he just had with someone yeah, that got into there. that car. Yeah. I mean, it, it didn't take me out of the movie, obviously, because I was still invested, but it's th what society's done to poor Mr. Albert Einstein, man, we should respect. Uh, it's just sad, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> but um, he goes to him with the calculations, and he's like, well, who did this? Well, it's Benny Safdie's character, Teller. Who, uh, yeah, Teller. Um, wants to focus more on the hydrogen bomb rather than the, just the atomic bomb. He thinks hydrogen would be better to compact the atoms, a bigger explosion, you know, less scruples with that, obviously. Um, and he goes, well, this would ignite the atmosphere, but I'm not going to help you with this because, you know, I did my great revolution in science. It's time for you to do yours. So a little bit of Oppenheimer felt like, and this is how I interpret it, he had to do this to prove to Einstein, I am a great scientist. But yeah. at the cost that Einstein was basically trying to warn him that what you would create would basically destroy the world as yeah, you know it. Yeah, it, it, 
I don't. I guess I'll I'll wait to see what I was gonna say because it, it's uh at the end was when he says it. So okay. I'll wait. Yeah. Um. So as they breeze through this, they get to Los Alamos. Everybody's you know doing their part to get everything done. They're bringing in all these scientists talking about different ways. They put two glass flasks on the table, one small, one big. They're like, well, we need this much to build an atomic bomb or to build the encasing of the bomb itself. They haven't mined enough, so it's gonna take the three years they're there to refine enough, so that way they yeah. have the parts for the bomb, which is yeah. great because you know most movies would be like, oh, we got it all. Let's just it's go build uh, the bomb. What is it? Plutonium, plutonium and uranium. uranium. You need yeah. both elements to make a bomb. Um, and so they just decided they're going to wait it out. They go through all of this. They get Kenneth Branagh back from Denmark where he was being held by the Nazis at one point. Uh, but Kenneth Branagh even says, I'm not going to help you make this because this is your great mission, your great ambition. The world will not be prepared for this. They may thank you, but you may also be remembered by how people view what this bomb would do to us. Yeah. Um, love everything about that. Really good writing there, obviously. Um, but Gene Tatlock dies at one point in the movie. And we have a yes. whole arc where he feels bad because she committed suicide. But did you notice this? The One hand. frame, this couple hands choking her. Another frame, she's drowning herself. That uh, I'm not familiar with, you know, the uh, Gene Tatlock. Gene Tatlock, but I they're definitely trying to hint at she may or may not have been killed for being a communist yeah. or being connected to uh, Oppenheimer. Yeah. Probably both. Probably both. Uh, you know, great she, U.S. government. <laughs> yeah. Or she committed suicide because Oppenheimer didn't love her. Either way, it's a really fucked up yeah. <laughs> I do love they, they include that ambiguity because we, need, we don't know, obviously. We have yeah. no idea what happened to her. And, you know, communists weren't well liked in the U.S. at the time. Most were exiled or put out of jobs or killed. Yeah, because it was America of the time was very, if you have different political views, you, you must die. A terrible human yeah. being. Um, I mean, look at the Hollywood uh, Red Scare when so many people, mm -hmm. like fucking Charlie Chaplin. Yeah. Robert Downey yeah. Jr. played Charlie yep. Chaplin in a yeah. movie where, uh, I mean, he's being, uh, you know, the government's trying to get him in trouble for being a communist. Yeah. Sounds familiar. Yeah. Um, and so he's torn up about it. He's like, well, she left a note. It wasn't signed. You know, there was hydrochloric in her blood, all this. And he's like, because I visited her, I slept with her. And they intercut it with Jason Isaacs being like, well, why'd you have to go visit her? She's a known communist. And they even talk about it on the board with RDJ. Um, they show, they, it's obviously to mirror how Emily Blunt looks at the situation that, you know, nakedly in front of them, this controversy is being laid out. Yes. And Florence Pugh has sex on top of him. And Emily Blunt. While they're, it, yeah, it, it's showing, like, like you said, it's Emily yeah. Blunt's uh, perspective. But yeah, it's they're in the room with the people that are, uh, I, I guess, uh, interrogating him. Mm -hmm. And for, at first, it shows Killian Murphy just naked on the chair, yeah. which is already a funny sight. Yeah, Everyone people laugh at it. Yeah. And then uh, after a little bit longer, you see Florence Pugh on him, and they're yep. they're just having sex on the chair right in front of all the. I mean. I'm assuming they actually did that. Like, obviously, they, they were did, partially, well, yeah, clothed partially in some clothed. spots, but I'm assuming, yeah. That, that's just funny. Yeah, it is. It, and, and, you know, I get what it's trying to do. But Emily Blunt gets up all distracted. Yeah, yeah. She's like, every day they pick apart our lives. They ask about stuff that they don't need to know, and you won't fight it. Because, like you said, he was a bit of a coward. Like, he would not, yeah. you know, stand morally on things. He'd always talk around himself. Like, that's just true. He wasn't, like, a great father figure, and he didn't fight for the people he loved. He cheated... Or, no, he, uh, what was it? He got his friend's wife to cheat yes, on him. Yes, very much, yeah. It's like, he, clearly he wasn't a good person with great values. No. <laughs> um, yeah, so after the Gene Tatlock incident, they get right back to it. Benny Safdie keeps pushing that they need to make the hydrogen bomb. Um, at one point, he decides he wants to leave the project because everybody's just mocking him for studying something they're not building. Yeah. Um, but 
this is where we get the first instance of did Oppenheimer really want the hydrogen bomb to be built or not? Where he tells Benny Safdie, "Well, just stay and do it. Like we can talk, you know, an hour a week about like how it would be built, yeah. how it'd be designed, um, because it's brought back at the ending, which we'll talk about obviously. But so Benny Safdie stays on. They continue building the bomb, uh, but then there's a little bit of a scruple. So this kid, um, I forget his name, but he's he gets drafted into the draft lottery to go fight in World War II. Um, mostly because, A, he was a communist and he was trying to unionize the radiation lab, but also at the same time, he was a close pupil of Oppenheimer that came from those origins. So, Casey Affleck comes in as General Patst, who was this big general that, like, was anti-communist. He'd be willing to torture you to just prove that you were a communist at the time. Yeah. Um, and he lies directly to his face. He throws his friend Chevalle under the bus saying that he wanted information. Um, but Casey Affleck plays it so well where he has this sinister sneer on his face. We never cut to him like torturing or hurting someone, but just from the performance alone, you're like, this guy has got a screw loose with him. And if Oppenheimer says the wrong thing, probably would kill him. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to find the person that you were talking about. Yeah, was it, it, was it uh, him? Uh, no, no, it wasn't him, no. But, um, if I think of the character later, I'll bring him back up. But that little scruple comes in, and then as they move along, Matt Damon's like, well, we need, uh, we need a date, you know, obviously for this bomb be built. We need it in July, because Potsdam's coming up, which was the last big conference that the United Nations had with Stalin, Churchill, all them, and that's also famously where Truman said, we have this great power we can unleash on the world, and Stalin's like, hope you use it, because Stalin knew that it had to be a bomb, obviously. Mm. Um, and I do love that they kept that little piece of history thrown in there, um, um, Oppenheimer goes, okay, well, we need a name for this project. Let's call it Project Trinity, which, you know, name dropped for historians. We're like, oh, Project Trinity. Yeah. Um, and so they build it up. They have the implosion devices ready. They're a little concerned that, you know, things won't go correctly. They're even taking bets on atmospheric ignition and everything like that. that. Uh, there's a point where uh, Josh Peck is standing there by a red button and Oppenheimer tells him if, uh, like, either of these go below, a, either of these arrows yeah. go below a certain point, you hit that red button and mm-hmm. yeah, that's the fail safe. Yeah. Um, I do love that they were like, well, what could possibly go wrong before it? A big rainstorm comes in. But if, you know, water gets in, it waters down all the elements and their bomb would be a dud, obviously. And yep. so they do talk about, well, we're going to have to cancel the whole thing. You know, we're going to have to check on the bomb. And one of the scientists is like, I bet um, a whole month of my salary for $10 that this thing will still go off. And they shake on it, him and Oppenheimer. Um tells Emily Bunt, like, if things go well, take the sheets in, which is just, like, a little coded message for the bomb works. Yeah, because after a while, Oppenheimer realized that he was being, or his phone was bugged, he was yeah. being listened to, so, uh, he, he was, he would speak in code yeah. on his phone calls and, uh, anything he would, anything, like, send out. Yeah, that yeah. he would send out. Um, big build-up, obviously, this is the tower, the lighting rig, the reason it's, uh, rigged with those lights is the Air Force needs to know where to drop the bomb from what safe distance, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, they talk about how, like, uh, this can't be done by the 15th what if this doesn't go off because that's two billion dollars three years of worship down the drain um would have been funny if in real life it never went off and we'd never have this problem yeah um Mm. but yeah so they build this up we have the last conversation between him and matt damon in there josh peck comes in turns everything on like you said he's gonna touch the red button countdown for 30 seconds bomb goes off whole theater silent you watch this big practical just mushroom red cloud go oh, god yeah. it looks so good and imagine just being the actors there watching this yeah you have to just be blown away by what happened i i'm assuming some of their reactions were gen- like uh doesn't matt damon do like a woo or something like that well, yeah, well a couple people do they get up and start cheering and hollering yeah i'm assuming some of those were genuine because like i mean it's cool maybe the on set maybe they didn't even know no, what they had no idea work. what it looked like yeah because uh you know like they would have 
there would have been some trial and error. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, but because yeah, Nolan said it had to go off or that whole budget scrap. Because this is under a hundred million, which I now after seeing it twice, I do understand. Because one, a lot of this movie is people talking in five separate rooms, so they saved a lot of budget. Yeah, damage. it's very. Uh, it very much seems like the majority of the budget went towards that. Bomb. Yeah, that bomb definitely. Because everything else, like it, it's very stripped down. Everything mm-hmm. else is, which is okay. Yeah, I do love how when it's silent, we just hear him breathing, and then after you know the cloud dissipates and he says that I am become death line again yeah. uh, there's that delayed sound like you were talking about with the implosion like hitting them this rattling you know it's what so... I was a big fan of what uh, over the course of uh, of time during the whole bomb building process mm-hmm. you could hear uh, artifacts and the digital sound that to me felt like they were trying because you know the radiation mm-hmm. from all that uh, stuff they were using the, and radiation does genuinely cause static sound does, in yeah. uh, digital uh, audio. So I I appreciated that because it made it feel more like, uh, you know, you were there. Yeah, yeah, you uh, feel you like know? you're right there. Yeah. Um, so the bomb goes off, and this is where we get, like, our little patriotic moment. Like, this is supposed to be where it's, like, tricking the audience. Oh, wow, look, they built the bomb. You know, uh, Oppenheimer gets, you know, picked all up the, in front of the American flag, takes his hat off, yeah, all, all that. all the people in their military uniforms are all getting on their trucks and driving Waving around. Waving flags, all that, yeah. Um, so the bomb is built. It's done. And so... It's like, what do we do now? And I do want to mention, so after before the bomb was built, they do have a scene before it where it's like, well, Hitler blew his brains out in the bunker. Germany's going to lose. And Japan's defeat seems certain. But, you know, obviously there would still have to be an invasion of soldiers going and fighting on the mainland. Yeah. And so Oppenheimer goes, well, if we build this thing, we prevent that. We prevent more American soldiers from dying. You know, we could drop it. We could yeah, perform this miracle. It, it does set that up. Like, this is what he does believe. He believes that it would stop more genocide. I, I was going to say, this is another one of those scenes where he does kind of talk in circles a little bit mm-hmm. but he does still like uh get to his point mm-hmm. uh, but it, you know it's just another scene showing how back because this like this because c- he finds a paper uh that leads him to yeah. a meeting and yeah. that's how he gets there and <clears throat> it, it feels like something that he would have been in support of earlier in the film mm-hmm. uh but now that he's at a point where he's having to be mr america and stuff yeah. he's that uh, blind patriotism it. kicked in yeah yeah, that that's what it is. It's bl- that blind patriotism where he's trying not to offend uh, Uncle Sam. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they have that scene where they establish it, but afterwards, right, they're loading the two bombs on the truck. He talks to General Groves. He's like, well, you'll keep me informed about it. And he goes, yeah, I'll try to do that best I can. And he's left completely he in the dark. the day that the Americans get informed. informed. Um, which, again, just shows once you, once the government gets what they need from you, they don't give a fuck about yeah, you at that point. I played point. Red Dead Redemption. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, but yeah, so it just, it showed that Oppenheimer then started to realize they just needed me for this and now I have to live with what I'd done. Yeah. Um, which it still plays into, he's like, okay, well, you know, the bomb went off and Truman addressed it to the nation. He even stayed up hoping for a phone call, never came. Um, yep. And then he starts to play around a little bit with moral implications in his head somewhat. And he goes and gives that speech to the people in Los Alamos where it's like, you know, rah, rah, they're all cheering in the courtroom. I do love how throughout the movie, we will hear those footsteps and then it comes full circle to that where it's like here's where yeah. he's thinking about like and that's why he keeps thinking the footsteps that's uh that's a kind of a trippy scene because that's the one where as he's giving the speech everything around him starts to shake he's still but everything around him starts to shake you start to see people with like uh stuff on their faces mm-hmm. and people are uh all, there's some people cheering some people crying obviously this is meant to be like disoriented yeah because uh that's how oppenheimer's feeling at the moment yeah and then he like steps on the charred remains the charred remains of obviously someone from hiroshima or nagasaki mm-hmm. uh 
and that, that's like one of his I don't know come to Jesus uh, it's kind of his guess. realization of what his greatness yeah. has actually done but at the same time it's hard to feel bad for the guy <laughs> yeah yeah it is hard to feel bad for him. I mean I don't <laughs> no I don't think anybody was supposed to at that point like at that point it's like okay buddy here's you're not happened. supposed to feel bad for anyone no not movie. in this movie because everyone in this movie is like nodding at first no <laughs> um but yeah I do love how the sounds drowned out as like you know the people go away the bright lights the ash falling all that yeah um, and then I mean, it just smash cuts back into them yeah. tapping him on the back he walks by the scientists that are crying. Devin Bostic's throwing up outside, looks at him, and he's crying because he also realized God, what they've done. that nasty fucking yeah. booger hanging out of his nose. Yeah. Um, and then Oppenheimer, you know, walks off out of frame, back to RDJ and them. He's like, well, you know, uh, Time Magazine just came in. How do they know that you were going to say this? He's like, oh, well, I got friends. I in, got friends. In, uh, he's, uh, man, he's got, uh, he mentions the guy's name, but I can't remember. Yeah, that, it's, but. he's like, I know somebody that writes for the time, and I knew it was going to happen. And all Knuckwright starts to realize you're the one that planted this document into Borden. You're the one that's yeah. really organized it. And I do love that that slow realization. This is face. when we find out that, or this is around the time that we find out that he handpicked all the people mm-hmm. for that uh, perjury yeah. stuff. The kangaroo court, as one of the characters yeah, yeah, says. Um, and so, you know, we get the re- re- uh, revelation that Strauss is doing all of this, obviously, to bring down Oppenheimer. We smash yeah. cut to Oppenheimer's being followed. He's being tried as a communist. We go back to the courtroom more and more. They're talking to him about, like, this. But one of my favorite scenes in a piece of history that I wasn't sure was going to get adapted was when he went to Truman about, hey, I feel like I got blood on my hands. Because when I first watched the scene, I'm like, who are they going to get to play Truman? Gary Oldman, a great actor, and nailed it playing Truman. Yeah, I think he's just at the point in his career where he wants to play as many historical figures as possible. Yeah, he played Churchill. He won for Churchill, too. Uh, he played Truman. I'm sure he played someone else that I can't remember off the top of my head. Oh, uh, didn't he play Dracula? Yeah, I think he did at one yeah. point. He was also Commissioner Gordon in Batman. Yeah, so. those are all real people. Yeah. Those are all Gordon historical my... figures, real people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he was in that one Hannibal Lecter movie mm-hmm. that... Uh, fucked his face up real yeah. bad um but what i love in this scene is truman the entire time does not give a fuck about moral implications like he's like well sir we need to talk you know because arm- he's the president yeah. of the united like, states like we need to talk armistice and like actually arms calling he's like well then the the soviets are never gonna have a bomb that's never gonna happen you know and yeah. he's like do you think they give a flying shit about who dro- who built the bomb they care about who dropped it and i yeah. did and you know he's trying to you know basically gaslight him in a way where it's like it's more my fault than yours yeah. you shouldn't feel sorry which is true in some way that it's like you didn't actually actually drop it but at the same time it's like truman buddy you still killed those people you can't look at it as a moral yeah, win that that's like that's blood on someone's hands a yeah. lot of people the i mean the government's hands. the government's hands yeah um and he walks out of the office he goes don't let that cry baby back in your actual line truman said well, about he the part where he, oh he hands him the yeah he says i feel yeah. like i have blood on my hands and it, he takes the handkerchief out and waves, waves it at, it him, at for him, a him for a second like clean your hands don't bitch. let that cry baby back in here yeah. and then it shows the time magazine on the uh coffee table yeah and so as this is going on the trial is getting more and more system they bring in people from his past they bring in teller at one point teller goes like i i still believe that he's an american citizen all this matt damon comes in he's like well you know under current ac guidelines i wouldn't clear him today but i'm clearing any of those guys and like i still do believe you know he's a good man and all that Uh, william borden has to read his fake testimony and at one point yeah, David Kronlitz, yeah. Um, but they bring him in to give his little fake speech that Strauss wanted. Um, and at one point, the lawyer of Oppenheimer's like, what does this have to do? It's not on the record. You're showing, like, a fake document and all that. And he's like, oh, well, you don't. And Jason is like, you don't have clearance for this. You shouldn't be asking these questions. And so he gets up once he realizes, like, oh, it's stacked against us in this way. Uh, we smash cut back to the court where 
Rami Malek's been getting shit on the whole movie, right? Like, every time he's in frame, somebody's just telling him shit yeah, the fuck Killian up, Yeah, Murphy, or I mean, uh, Oppenheimer. Yeah. It's just always treating him like shit. Like, there's one point yeah. where he takes his pen away and just throws it in his pocket. Knocks his clipboard. Knocks his clipboard down. He's like, uh, the... <laughs> it, I don't want to say generic, but, like, the trope of the clumsy secretary. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so Hill gets called in, and, tr- you know, f- uh, at this point, Strauss thinks he has it in the back. He's yeah, like, he's oh, well, he's sm- going to... smirk in there on the side. Yeah, I'm going to... He's going to testify about all this, about Oppenheimer, how I provided a safe haven for scientists, but... Hill has no respect for Strauss because he realizes it's a kangaroo court and he also knows about what he did to Oppenheimer. So he says, this man should not be in Dwight D. Eisenhower's cabinet. He was just doing this as a personal vendetta because um, he got humili- he humiliated Strauss for the Congress about isotopes, yep. um, which they keep cutting back to that scene where he's telling the joke to Congress about like shove it. Basically, you don't know anything about isotopes and their worth. Um, and so he's like, this has been just a personal vindictiveness. RDJ gets pissed. He's like, are you fucking serious? Like, he's turning this against me. He, and this is where we get the moment I love where RDJ's like, do you really think he's doing this because of a hydrogen bomb? No, he's doing this to protect his neck. Like, he's doing this to protect the fact that he was the father of the atomic bomb. Yeah. And the smash cuts with that scene of Jason Isaacs where he's going on about, like, uh, well, how do you feel about, like, the implications of Hiroshima? Because you picked the city, you know? You you gave them logistics on this. And he's yeah. talking in circles around it and everything. He's like, no, 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 I'm not asking about everyone else's perspective. You, you, you. I want to know yours. And, you know, it brightens up more because he's feeling that anxiety from it. And I love it because it does point out the fact that Oppenheimer did, like, help with this. And there's no way he yeah. felt a moral scruple. Like, he felt about it after, obviously. But in the moment, there's no way he felt a moral scruple. So yeah. I do appreciate that, like, RDJ is saying all this true fact that, like, Oppenheimer just wanted to be the father of this. He wanted to be the father of the bomb. He wanted to be the big thing. Yeah, the big thing. But, you know, being that big thing meant he would have to downplay something as big as the hydrogen bomb. And now, obviously, years later, he was like, we shouldn't build a hydrogen bomb. But in that moment, it was like 1945, you didn't feel shit, basically. Yeah, he was, I mean, not for profit, but he was in it for... uh, Personal glory. Personal glory, uh, you know, the government praising Mm -hmm. him and stuff. Uh, What is it? They called it a protection pass or something Yeah, protection pass, yeah. Uh, He he just, it it was for him. That's all he wanted. It was all for him. Yeah, (laughs) it was all for him, and it was just... It's beautiful, you know, it's beautiful storytelling. Um, I do want to talk about one scene, though, where they do talk about the hydrogen bomb. It's when RDJ is detailing how they met in 1947 after the Soviets detonated the first bomb, like their atomic bomb. They all meet at the AC Council where they're going over, like, oh, well, how did the Soviets, you know, get the materials or the ideas to build this bomb? There had to be a spy at Los Alamos. They keep trying Cillian Murphy the whole time, like, oh, well, we have to build a hydrogen bomb. Now Truman has to reassure the people that, like, Teller's designs can work, but he keeps downplaying it because, like we said, he's realized now what the bomb has done um at one point it just goes nowhere and he's just like i'm not going to permit this i'm not going to do it borden even tries to go i was a pilot in world war ii and i saw this b2 rocket go by and you know i could just only think what an atomic bomb or a hydrogen bomb would do on that thing to you know speed things up we wouldn't have to waste soldiers lives yeah and once again he talks in circles like ah we just can't build this thing man so yeah i do like that they do interplay with that but um as we get towards the ending and wrapping this up, obviously uh it's gone through the kangaroo court they did exactly what strauss said they just said you're a citizen you're loyal to the united states but we're going to deny your clearance you're not going to be able to be in security in any way so he does get out of it like oh you're still going to be a citizen of the united states but you can't be involved with government anymore so 
over for him in that way. RDJ's like, well, did the Senate vote, you know, am I in or out of Dwight D. Eisenhower's cabinet, even though he already knows? Yes. And he goes, yeah, there's some holdouts and Alden Eckhart in an MCUA drops. Yeah, and uh, the senator from Massachusetts didn't really like your tone, trying to make a name for himself. His name is uh, Kennedy, John F. Kennedy. Yeah. And then John F. Kennedy walks into frame. He goes, uh, Mr. Strauss, I uh, want to recruit you. to the Avengers. Yeah, I uh, got President Truman in the back over here. And Rami Malek. And Rami Malek. <laughs> we're we're going to start the Super League of Presidents. <laughs> yeah, it was really weird how they like they clearly put emphasis on, on John, John F. Kennedy because like, they didn't name the other three. It was yeah, just John it was F. like here's the big name, John F. Kennedy. Everyone loves John. Not yeah. everyone loves John. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lee, Har- Lee Harvey Oswald didn't. That's for sure. We've seen the Irishman. We've seen the Irishman. Um, yeah, but so. After that, RDJ is like, well, he's turned the scientists against me. He had to. And Alden Eckhart's like, well, you keep going on about this Einstein conversation, but could it just be he never talked about you? And this is where we get to the part where uh, that I wanted to mention earlier where it shows it's in color, so yeah. it is the Oppenheimer perspective, yeah. but I'm going to assume it's mostly true. Probably. Uh, it shows the conversation between uh, Albert Einstein and Oppenheimer. And basically what Einstein says is that Oppenheimer's going to learn something that Albert Einstein's already learned, mm-hmm. where uh, Anyone who, you know, stabbed you in the back or turned their back on you or anything, Mm -hmm. they are going to congratulate you at your biggest moment. Yep. And it's not for you. Yeah. It's for them. It's for them. And this is this is cut perfect I'm assuming it's Nobel Mm -hmm. Prize. Nobel Prize, yeah, probably. This is cut perfectly with uh Oppenheimer mm-hmm. uh, receiving at at an older age, clearly because yeah. he's got way grayer hair. He's he looks more yeah. small and fragile, but he's receiving some kind of award. I don't know if it's a Nobel Prize or what. I I don't know much about the guy. I'll mm-hmm. be honest. Uh, and you see these people from his past showing up, uh, like what's his name, Teller. Teller. He yeah. shows up, shakes his hand, looks over at Emily Blunt, and she's yeah. just got the she's mean mugging him. Yeah, and she does that to all the people that. Uh, you know, stabbed him in the back yeah. during that whole Strauss stuff. Yeah. She does have a great scene, too. I should have met Emily Blunt where she's being tried and she calls Jason Isaac yes. out on his bullshit. She's, uh, she's, I don't know if she's acting like she's crumbling or if that's like the, what, what her character needed in order to step back step up back, and, yeah. you know, go hard on Jason Isaac and, and be like, what, what? I, I never said that and you know yeah, contradicting just, yourself all yeah that. just making him feel the wrath of what he's constantly been doing mm-hmm. to Oppenheimer yeah. basically great scene um, but at the ending that's where Oppenheimer's like remember when I came to you those conclusions about you know chain reaction would ignite the atmosphere he goes yeah what of it I believe we did oh. and then he starts thinking about that impending future of nuclear war he thinks about his perspective of the pilot seeing the nuke and all that and so it just has this big montage and then Oppenheimer closes his eyes and it cuts to black and we get the title card and I was like god damn Nolan wow yeah it's a it's a really well made film mm-hmm. a very well made film um we got through it you know probably better Fucking than barely yeah <laughs> I mean there's a lot more we could have gone over but just for time length we yeah. had to just kind of recap it I mean I thought you were talking about we got through the movie. I was like, yeah. Jesus, I could barely sit there because of how the much bad pain the seats my were. ass was in. Yeah, our IMAX seats locally are not great. They haven't yeah. been replaced since the theater was built, they, so... They're, uh... They feel like computer chairs. They do. Yeah, very much. And I'm not a big fan of office chairs, so... <laughs> um, yeah, but... Uh, as I said, as somebody who loves history, that read um, American Prometheus, The Triumph and Tragedy of Robert J. Oppenheimer... Um, 
I was in love with this movie. I am in love with what it did, kind of talking about blind patriotism, evolution, you know, and what it did taking this morally great character and telling his story without making him the definitive hero or villain of the movie. Um, I do love how it does kind of shape up that blind patriotism gets you nowhere. I do love what Nolan did interwoving it with like little thematic stuff, the sound direction, the score, the performances, just by God, with this being his magnum opus, I know some people have looked at it on Letterboxd, it's already a spoiler probably for them. Um, I gave it a 10 out of 10 because I didn't think there was really any flaw with it because I still have yet to find one thing that I didn't like. Um, and that's just a me thing personally. Not everybody has to love this thing as like a masterpiece or anything like that. Um, but for me personally, I've fucking was in love with this it's probably my favorite nolan movie right now unless you know after recency bias goes down we'll see yeah. um but i i would definitely say this for me might be my movie of the year yeah like we did we did watch tenet three times together yep. back in the day and i'm pretty sure your rating went down, went down after. every time yeah and i've uh, seen this twice now my score hasn't changed so maybe yeah. it won't but who knows yeah um i I thought this was a really well put together film. I thought that the you know the the score of this movie was beautiful. The sound design was really good. It's a really great looking film. The yeah. performances from pretty much everyone were really good. Uh, I really liked David Krumholtz as uh, like just the buddy that yeah. shows up occasionally and is like, "Yeah, hey, what's going on?" Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just, or not Borden. <laughs> I I don't I I think they call him Isaac. I don't know something like that. Um, but yeah, I, it's a just a really well put together movie. I don't currently have a rating in mind yeah that's because fair. i still want to process it because mm -hmm. there's you know the there's a lot to go over in your head especially if you intend to rewatch it which yeah. i might i'm not sure yeah <laughs> uh if you have danny on litterbox you'll see the score eventually uh when we do our last podcast danny can just you know before we begin be like okay here's my oppenheimer score and final thoughts you'll never hear my score Never. 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 Um, yeah, but that being said... High school. Yeah, that uh, that concludes the Barbenheimer sweep. Uh, both these movies have made an exorbitant amount of money. I think Barbie, as the time of recording this, has reached $600 million and probably will hit a billion. Um, and Oppenheimer yeah. just hit $400 million for being a, a biopic. I mean, pick. that is like... Impressive. When you yeah. consider how many IMAX film theaters have been sold out because of people buying yeah, tickets... Yeah, we struggled to get tickets we, all weekend. Yeah, we couldn't get IMAX film tickets. Yeah, my first time, me and my buddy were like, oh, let's go to 6.30, sold out. Okay, we'll go to the 10.30, sold out. Oh, we'll have to wait for Friday or for Saturday then. Sold out all through Saturday. Sunday, I was like, we have to go Sunday. There were showing small seats in the front. Um, not like direct front, but kind of like where we were. I think one row below where we sat tonight was oh. where I sat originally for it. Um... But yeah, we managed to get tickets on a Sunday, saw it, and I was like, oh, I'd like to see it again during the week with Danny. Still sold out throughout the week. So this movie's power, and I guess part of it is the meme of Barbenheimer, but um, yeah. just the power but, Nolan brought with this. Yeah, wow. Yeah, and you know, I I was talking about this with Hayden earlier. I hate to say it, but this is like the perfect Oscar bait movie. Because it could it's, be it, a way, it's, yeah. a, it's a biopic about a guy from the World War II era, mm -hmm. which I know the Academy has changed their demographic a little bit, but yeah. still it's a biopic directed by Christopher Nolan yeah. in IMAX. It's like yeah. bang, bang, bang. It's got a great score. Yeah. I, this has Oscar. I, and I, the reason I say I hate to say Oscar bait is because that that's not Nolan's style. Mm -hmm. But it, you know, it, if yeah, it doesn't feel like the other. If this came out in yeah. November. <laughs> it, it doesn't feel like the other historical biopics that yeah. do just shoehorn in. We want an Oscar. You know? Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, that, so, that's why I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. That, that's why I said mm -hmm. I hate to say it like yeah. that, but yeah, I, it's great. Yeah, good, it's a good time. Great, great movie. Um, 
Yeah, I think everybody in this who had a big role Oscar nomination, give it to him because why yeah. not? Um, and it'll probably win score and VFX is my guess if it had two things that it will solidly. Um, yeah, the they'll probably get something for that bomb. They will. Uh, I can see, see, I can see a, definitely a best actor for Killian, Mm -hmm. best director for Nolan, uh, best movie for this, Mm -hmm. uh, best original score, um, sound design, uh, supporting actor, Matt Damon. And RDJ probably. Yeah, and RDJ. Uh, best supporting actress, I would say probably Emily Blunt. She Mm -hmm. might get an, at least a nod. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's probably other stuff that I'm missing too. Yeah. But that's like the big ones that I think it'll get. Yeah. Um, so that being said, this concludes Barbenheimer. Uh, me and Danny will be working towards finding two movies to talk about last for our last podcast ever. You are um, not ready for the future. Yeah. You are not ready for a future without us, basically. Um, but we, we'll work towards that. Um, and then we also want to plug a Q&A. So if you guys have any questions you want to ask us, like, what's the funniest screening we ever went to? You know, how do we, uh, you know, plan out these podcasts and stuff? You know, what's next for us after the podcast? You know, if you just want to ask any questions to us about the podcast itself or like, what we're gonna do now that we're retired from it um shoot them to us on discord we would be happy to answer them for you or bring them to talk about on the podcast uh because we do want to answer you guys' feedback for sticking with us for five seasons of this now which is just crazy we started this in 2019 yeah and it is 2023 so this is our fourth year yeah it's crazy uh there was a brief period of time where i had a podcast Mm mm-hmm which, you know, there's always a chance that that could return. I'm not saying it will. I'm just okay. saying there's always a chance. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we've had our... How many episodes have we had? Like, over... We might. Close to over 50. Close mm-hmm. to it, maybe. I don't know. But yeah. some of them were delisted we've, due to copyright, but we've probably yeah, had about over 50. we played some music that, that was uh, yeah. uh, copywritten. Yeah. What a shame. Yeah. It was Halloween... That, uh, th- wait, was the Halloween podcast... Taken the, down. Was it? We played a little bit of, like, Don't Fear the Reaper. I think it got flagged, yeah. but it didn't get taken down. That's crazy. Yeah. Especially since it's owned by Spotify now. I know, that's crazy. Um, yeah, so, um, we had an intro bit with Benwell Blanc. Um, but speaking of which, what happened with Detective Blanc? So, are you good now? I'm very confused. But you did the... No, no, I get that, but, like, are you free of the charges now that we did Barbenheimer? I don't. Should we call Benwell Blanc? Should you call I, Benwell Blanc? I guess. Here's my yeah. cell phone. Call him and right. ask him if we're all off beep, the hook. Boop, 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 boop. Uh, do phones still make that noise? I think they do. Okay. Yeah. Ring, ring, ring. Ring, ring, ring. Halle Berry, what on earth could you possibly need? What do you... Well, it's me, Mr. Benwell Blanc. You told me I had to watch something, didn't you? Yeah, you had to watch the Barbenheimer movies or spend 80 plus years in prison. Oh, fuck. Can, can I take the 80 plus years still? What? I mean, you, you did your duty, but I suppose, yes, if you I want. I just want to get away from Hayden, honestly. All right, we'll be to your house within an instant, and we'll be there to book Wait, you. Wait, he wanted to do a fucking other podcast. Do I have to, do I, like, can, can I get out of the podcast well, if I'm in depends. prison? Well, that depends. You have to do something for Benoit Blanc, if you know what I'm saying. I, you know I what I I gotta burn want. down the Mona Lisa. You know what I want. I gotta burn the Mona no, Lisa. you know what I want. I gotta play Among Us. You, you, no. Well, we can do that after, but you know. Can I play Among Us with you? I've never played it. Uh, He's, alright, he just hung up on me. Well, then I guess we're off the hook. Um, I'll crawl back into my sewer since my house is gone. Uh, and then I'll. Yeah, and I'll crawl into that sewer with you because a tree fell on my house. Uh, uh, do you wanna. 
Do you want to go watch Sound of Freedom later? Sound of Freedom, sweet baby. Sound of Freedom, sweet 